Welcome to Scoop with Steve Football. Hey, good morning everyone and welcome back to another episode of Scoop with Steve Football. I'm your host Stephen Clinton, an NFL film junkie slash data scientist with a background in quality control at uh, Northwestern University and the University of Toledo. Uh, learn more about my background on uh, my subsec, uh, but today I'm diving into a, a couple takeaways from the Houston Texans. I work uh, back through some film review from 2022 in preparation for the uh, upcoming 2023 NFL uh, fantasy and gambling seasons. So the theme of uh, today's uh, show for the Texans is the uh, the kids are all right, talking about the uh, 2022 NFL draft class. Uh, of course, I should say before we, we get started that these are grown-ass men, not kids, and uh, that the uh, kids aren't all right by the offspring is a way better song than the kids are all right by the who. But we can uh, leave the uh, terminology and uh, musical generational debates to the side for now and uh, dive into uh, the 2022 NFL draft class of the Houston Texans, in which I think it's, uh, you know, Nick Casario, the general manager, uh, I think definitely um, has, you know, five presumptive day one starters and, uh, you know, not only starters, but, you know, five guys who can uh, start at a, hopefully at a, a competent level and in some cases could uh, a couple of players that could blossom into stars for the Houston Texans moving forward. Now, of course, we've just been through the 2023 NFL draft cycle. So, you know, the big names are going to be quarterback C.J. Stroud and a uh, defensive end Will Anderson, of course, who the Texans took back to back with the second and third overall picks here. But at the same time, you know, uh, C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson are, are not going to uh, do everything themselves. And uh, while, you know, we're all familiar, I think, with uh, good old Laramie Tunzel uh, lining up at left tackle for the Texans, um, you know, this is still a roster that needed a lot of pieces on it, uh, you know, mo moving forward here. And I, and I guess real quickly before I, I dive into the, the five players I'm going to talk about here who are, you know, real quickly uh, – in order of, of their draft position, Derek cornerback Derek Stinley Jr., left guard Kenyon Green, safety Jalen Petrie, um, linebacker Christian Harris, and then running back Damian Pierce. I do want to uh, you know just take a moment to uh, to kind of rewind on on general Nick, general manager Nick Casario himself because you know. I mean, you sign up for these general manager jobs knowing that there's going to be unexpected twists and turns. But, I mean, the timeline that played out after Casaria signed on to be the general manager for the Texans, I assumed, thinking that Deshaun Watson would be his quarterback moving forward. I mean, nobody could have expected that. And, you know, as I look at it now, you know, he was really delayed by about two years in being able to execute the plan that he eventually wanted to execute. And I had a lot of questions about kind of what the Texans had been up to the last two years. Uh, you know, what with the one and done head coaches in both David Cully and Lovey Smith, um, you know, just and just some of the things in general about, you know, them seeming like an organization adrift in many ways. Um, but then, you know, I think during this past offseason, you uh, you saw that, you know, Casario was just lying in wait, right? Like waiting for his opportunity when he his timeline and his resources actually lined up to move forward. And in retrospect, I think he did a really nice job uh, being patient in navigating the Deshaun Watson situation and extracting a king's ransom. Uh, from the Cleveland Browns in, in exchange for a quarterback, um, you know, whose off-field uh, troubles seemed to follow him onto the field this year with the Cleveland Browns. So we'll see what Watson looks like in the upcoming season. But uh, last year was um, alarmingly bad for a player who had been uh, as transcendently gifted as uh, Deshaun Watson had been as a Texan. But, uh, you know, well, as I say, that'll play out come week one. 
Um, but, you know, Casario was patient through that process. He uh, acquired the value that he should have gotten for Watson if Watson hadn't had any off-the-field issues. And now that he has everything in place, he finally made moves that feel like the moves that he really wanted to make, like going out and hiring a, a young rising head coach into Miko Ryans, and then, you know, getting your quarterback in CJ Stroud at two and getting your defensive end at Will Anderson um, at number three. Now, those were the, the big, you know, overt moves that made it really clear that things are going to be different in Houston moving forward. But in retrospect, as I looked back on on their film through that lens, I, I felt like uh, Casario had been doing a better job of uh, laying the groundwork than maybe I gave him credit for. So let's drop, uh, jump into these 2022 draft picks. And we'll start with Derek Stingley Jr. And, um, you know, I, I want to start by saying that it would be um, disingenuous for me to say based on the, uh, Stingley's uh, rookie film, which I've watched all of, that I saw, you know, a star in the making. But I want to be very clear about the fact that I felt that Derek Stingley was put in a very difficult situation by Lovey Smith as a rookie. Everything that I heard about Derek Stingley Jr. in the pre-draft process, and I, you know, I don't do college film, but I listen to a, a number of top draft analysts, and you know what I consistently heard is that this guy is a press man corner with with great hips who can who can turn and run from the line, and you know that's a, a great player to draft. And in the same thought I don't have anything against playing Tampa 2 consistently but where I do have a problem is when you take that corner who's a press man guy with the third overall pick in the draft and then proceed to you know be as predictable as any defense in the NFL on third down just playing cover two over and over again and as a result Stingley was put in a position where he just looked hesitant and you know he himself has said recently in some public comments that he's seeing the whole field a lot faster ahead of year two. So perhaps it proves to be a blessing in disguise that Lovey Smith lined him up as a zone corner so often, um, and, and specifically a cover two flat corner so often as a rookie, um, because it forced Stingley to sit back and process route combinations and everything that you have to do when you're, you know, playing with your eyes first and and your body second, I guess you could say. Um, but that's also not what people lauded about Derek Stingley, right? Um, they talked about him being able to come up and press, which is a very desirable trait to have in a cornerback. Um, and, you know, one last thought about Levy Smith is if that's the scheme you wanted to play, just based on their pre-draft profiles, not the rookie results, you would have wanted to take Sauce Gardner, who, yeah, you know, it's a whole other thing. Now, the fortunate thing for the Texans is it's almost as if Nick Casario knew that Lovey Smith wouldn't be running the defense forever because last year in San Francisco, D'Amico Ryans used uh, Shavarius Ward um, exactly the same way I had envisioned uh, the Texans would use Derek Stingley Jr. In that Shavarius Ward followed the best receiver and he was given the freedom to come up and press that player uh, at, at, you know, it seemed like as he wanted to, uh, you know, felt like kind of the base defense out in San Francisco is, you know, cover four where, you know, everybody's kind of manned up and the corners on the outside are, you know, more or less playing man. And, and they gave Ward, it seemed like, the freedom to kind of uh, play man the best way he thought um, he should play man and really be tasked with taking away that top receiver for the other team. Shavarius Ward did a great job of that for the Niners last year, in my opinion. Uh, really, you know, kind of raised the ceiling on who I thought he was as a player coming over from Kansas City, actually. And I think there's a great chance that we're going to see Derek Stingley Jr. emerge in a similar vein now that he is uh, likely to be given the license to play the way that everybody described him as a player coming out of LSU, where he was, you know, obviously so highly lauded, having played on that Joe Burrow team and having covered, uh, you know, the, the, the T. Higgins um, and the J Jamar Chase, or I'm sorry, not, not T. Higgins, he was on the other side, on um, the Jamar Chases and the 
Justin Jefferson's at practice at LSU. So, you know, I, again, I, Stingley's rookie film, you know, I'd have to, I, there's certain things I definitely picked out because I was watching it closely. There's um, a route where he covers Devontae Adams man-to-man in, in their Week 7 matchup. Uh, Stingley did travel with Adams, but again, they were playing a lot of zones, so he's just playing zone to his side. But there was one specific, you know, it was just an 8-yard stop route or something like that to Adams where Stingley actually was playing him in man-tech. He had to pedal out, he had to, you know, transition and then trigger downhill to, to get back on Adams, and I thought that that looked really good and you know it showed off the kind of footwork that you would expect from somebody who is going to play press man like that so you know I, I feel like Stingley is almost as much of an unknown as the rookies going into week one at least for me uh, but I'm tremendously excited to see what he does um, being deployed in, in what I expect will be a very different fashion all right talk a lot about Stingley so I'll try to be a little bit quicker on the next four guys here uh left guard Kenyon Green uh have to issue a via culpa to, to Green because you know I watched uh Houston's early film uh, first four weeks and um you know I thought that Green was you know doing fine and coming coming along nicely you know big powerful guard um you know obviously like most rookies some things to work on um then I kind of you know stopped watching the Texans for a little bit because they, they sucked um you know uh yeah to be you know blunt about it and um i came back this off season and started watching some of the film um kind of mid-season and green looked terrible um looked he was you know looked like he was out of balance he seemed to you know suddenly look like he was carrying too much weight and couldn't really control you know his body his body control had just kind of disappeared and then you know i go back this week and I watched the game against the Raiders and realized that he got kind of tripped up at the end of the game and, and tabletopped almost and messed up his ankle and had to leave that game, which really explains what was going on for the next month, right? So good reminder to make sure you get the full story on players uh, before you, you rush to judgment on them because then, you know, watching Kenyon Green play week 18 against the Colts, he was clearly back to form. And, you know, I think that the Texans uh, definitely got, you know, an above average starter um, likely at guard, if not, you know, a plus player. Uh, hard to say exactly how far uh, Green will develop, but I feel like at this point you've got a guy who uh, has good body control, moves very well, you know, both both sliding up um, in, in run blocking to the second level and also, you know, he can get out a little bit as a, you know, moving, if he's asked to move around as a puller or something like that, like he's, he's not an immobile uh, guy, even though he is 320 pounds at the guard position and has some power to him. So, you know, I think that you saw a really solid performance from Kenyon Green in, um, in week 18 and that it's likely that, you know, this Texans line could actually be pretty darn good because on the left side with an elite guy in Laramie Tunzel and, and Kenyon Green looking like a very solid, if not a plus player, um, it's a really good place to start for the Houston Texans. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the line when I get to uh, uh, Damian Pierce here. Um, f- flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, um, safety Jalen Petrie, um, probably the uh, most, well, I guess Pierce, you know, pretty well known to fantasy football players, but Petrie definitely racked up the most counting stats of anybody in, in Houston's rookie class. Um, unfortunately, while Petrie showed off, you know, good range, he's got good size and length for the safety position um, and, and can certainly run around a bit, as I say, with the range, um, you know, he had to be involved in a lot of plays to get all those counting stats. But Jalen Petrie also missed an absolutely absurd number of tackles and they were often, you know, situations where he's the last guy back as the safety, really the last defender with a chance to make the tackle, um, you know, short of guys making it in pursuit and he's whiffing, um, you know, the game against Jacksonville is probably, you know, the low light, uh, 
in that regard where, you know, Travis Etienne, who, you know, is an exceptionally gifted um, and elusive running back, uh, but at the same time, you know, he was just, you know, twisting Petrie up and, you know, making him miss on t- without, you know, getting touched. And, and that just has to get cleaned up if Petrie's going to, you know, frankly continue to start because, you know, your safety can't be the reason that you're giving up an extra 20 yards on plays consistently. Or, you know, in the case of Etienne in that game, I mean, split Petrie and I think it was Desmond King on that tackle on a 61-yard run. So again, I, there's a lot I like about Jalen Petrie, but he needs to get the tackling short up this offseason or he's just going to be a liability out there. But if he does get that, that that tackling issue corrected, and again, you know, these are all things that you work on, that you can develop, that you can learn. And, you know, if he's, you know, dedicating himself this offseason, then Jalen Petrie is going to be an above-average player at safety in the NFL because he's definitely got the range. He's already shown all of that. All he needs to do is, you know, cut the number of missed tackles. Uh, it, you know, if he were to cut those in half and, and get those out of the negative side of his ledger book, he wouldn't even have to make any more positive plays. He's already doing that. And, you know, if he can just cut out half the missed tackles, then he becomes an immensely, you know, a very valuable player rather than a guy who was, you know, frankly causing some issues um, with the missed tackles that he would have. So really excited to see where Jalen Petrie's game is at. Um, you know, uh, on to Christian Harris. Uh, you know, the he's an undersized kind of 6'1", 225 linebacker out of Alabama. Um who, you know, he's not a 4-3 guy like, you know, Ryan Shazier was uh, before his injury. Um, so Christian Harris is not like an ultra elite athlete. Um, and I don't think that he's going to be some sort of all-pro all player as a result of, you know, those relative physical limitations. But I do think that he's got uh, definitely the instincts and the movement skills to certainly be um, a third down player and contribute as a coverage player. Um, but I think he also has the instincts, uh, despite his limited size, to hold up in the box all right on, on first and second down if he's kind of the um, the, the lighter inside line inside off the ball linebacker next to, you know, a, a little bit more of a thumper, which they have in, you know, Denzel Perriman and Christian Kirksey as, as two different options available there. So we'll see where Christian Harris goes, but I think that he could definitely be, you know, he's not going to be a plus player that wins games for you, but I think that he could definitely be a solid linebacker who can play all three downs um, and be, you know, a player at a very cost-effective uh, level uh, given where he was drafted. Oh, last player in the draft class is, is Damian Pierce, and he's you know, honestly, uh, we'll see what, what he can add in in the pass game, um, assuming that the Texans don't insist on getting Rex Burkhead as many catches as they did last year. Loved Rex Burkhead when uh, we were both in college and I was watching him at Northwestern play at, at Nebraska when Le'Veon Bell was back at Michigan State. Um, remember debating those two among others in the Big Ten at the time, but at the same time, young team with the Texans trying to grow for the future. I'm not sure why Rex Burkhead had so many targets last year. I'd be interested to see Pierce get some more. What we do know is that as a zone runner, Damian Pierce is, I mean, outstanding. I mean, he just has a beautiful combination of just instincts in terms of where to press it to the front side of the zone or, or when to cut it back. He's got great explosiveness and, and go get it when, when he does make that decision, which is critical. He's got very good contact balance at his size and he's got enough explosiveness to, you know, break off some long gains. So, you know, I thought Damian Pierce was just outstanding this year, you know, much like Tyler Allegier over in Atlanta, they both have just such good vision and make such good decisions as zone runners. It's very impressive. But where Pierce is different than Allegier is that Pierce is just a bigger, 
uh, more explosive back with better contact balance and he's just you know more dangerous as a result you know it, as I mentioned the Texans line I think they're going to be very good on the left side uh, Shaq Mason uh, might be an aging player at right guard but he has been a plus player if not you know an elite player throughout his career with the Patriots and then the Buccaneers and then Titus Howard is solid at right tackle so the X factor for the Texans is at center where if second round uh, center Juice Scruggs can hit the ground uh, you know run in here and hit uh, this is going to get so old, but if Juice can bring the juice from day one, I really think that uh, this Texans line, you know, obviously Carolina, the line they're going to put in front of Bryce Young, the, the number one overall pick, is getting a lot of a uh, lot of rave reviews. And, you know, for good reason. I, I mentioned on the Panther show I like that line. But I think the Texans are kind of a dark horse to be a top 10 offensive line in the NFL because you've got an elite player at left tackle in Laramie Tunzel. You've got two probably plus guards in Kenyon Green and Shaq Mason, a solid player at right tackle. If Juice uh, Scruggs is even solid as a second rounder at center, I think they're going to be really good up front. And that run game is going to help out C.J. Stroud a ton because, you know, to be kind, the, the Texans are still, you know, working through things at, at the pass catcher positions, uh, whether that be tight end or uh, wide receiver. And I think in the meantime, if C.J. Stroud can really rely on this run game, it is going to go a, a long way for him during his rookie season. Um, that's it for the Texans today. I did post some thoughts on a bonus player from Houston's 2022 NFL draft class that you can uh, check out over on my Substack, along with uh, some other thoughts about the Texans that I also addressed in this video. Um, today, I'll be watching some uh, Colts tape and we'll be uh, back with some thoughts on their 2023 outlook tomorrow. Going to follow that up with the Dallas Cowboys uh, the, the next day. Um, you know, as always, uh, thanks for watching. You know, as I say, uh, at the end of these shows uh, if you can't tell i uh, love talking to nfl football and if you enjoy listening so much the better hope you all have a great summer day uh, if you can uh, like the video subscribe to the channel or the Substack, stack uh, all those things are great to help me keep producing content have a great day